Well, it's good to be here this morning. Let me see a show of hands. How many people are enjoying the extreme heat? I know there has to be a few people. Well, maybe there isn't anybody. All right, who's a little salty because of the extreme heat? All right, there we go. We got a few more hands on that one. You know, Josh, I think that's the first time I've actually used the word salty in that regard. That's just not a word I typically use that way. That may be the first time I've actually said it in that context. Well, you know, this word salty, over the last few years, I don't know how many, but I've noticed it, it is dramatically increasing in its use as a popular colloquialism in kind of a negative connotation. It gets used negatively in reference to our attitude or our behavior or even our language, so much so that even some of the major dictionaries are beginning to acknowledge this usage and definition of the word salty. In ways that it's used to talk about attitude, it means a person's bad mood or their negative vibe. We might refer to that as salty. I think this has been used longer in, as far as language is concerned, but impolite language and swear words have been referred to historically as salty language or not so clean jokes, if you will, might be referred to as salty jokes or salty stories. But it can also refer to a person's negative behavior, uh, being bitter towards someone about something or active defensively. One might say, I don't know why he got salty with me. That's a way that salty sometimes gets used. And the Oxford Dictionary, I don't normally quote dictionaries, but I want to on this because Oxford even notes the usage of this term this way can mean angry, irritated, or even hostile. So it's a word used negatively, and it's popular. And I found this interesting as I was looking at stuff for this lesson. I noticed you can buy anything from T-shirts to coffee mugs or even pillows with the negative definition of the word salty on them. I would not want to own one, but as you can see, it's available. If you want a shirt that says, don't be salty, you can get one. Just so you know, go online, Amazon's got them. But here's the thing. Since Jesus refers to his followers in Scripture as the salt of the earth, this presents us an issue. Because I think we can all agree that Jesus would not tell us that his disciples are annoyed, upset, hostile, critical, impolite, and have filthy mouths. So what we have to do with this, anytime that we're studying a Bible topic or a, a Bible term, and we want an accurate understanding, we have to figure out how a word or term or topic was culturally understood at the time it was written. And so that's our task with the term salty. That's what we have to do with salt if we want to understand how to please Jesus by being the salt of the earth. Today we're going to begin a new series, and the title of our series is going to be simply Salty. 
And my goal this morning has two parts. I have two things that I need to do with this lesson. First, I want to help us gain a little bit deeper understanding and background so that we can understand the significance of the term salt and why it may have been used by Jesus. This will help us set up our series. Then from that, the second thing I want to do is explore what our love for each other should look like as salt of the earth disciples so that we can manifest a love that sets us apart from the world. So let's start by simply just looking at, at salt in general. What's the big deal about salt? Salt has always been a big deal in the world. Pliny, who was an ancient historian back not really spread very far apart away from Bible times, he once said that there is nothing more valuable on the earth than salt and sunshine. Interesting to note that Jesus called us salt and light. He was referring to two of the most valuable things ever. And so Pliny points that out. Well, with the spread of civilization, salt became one of the world's main trading commodities. It was of high value to the ancient Hebrews, to the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Hittites, and on and on down the list we could go. In the Middle East, salt was used to seal covenants. And we even see that in Scripture. We see the ancient Israelites sealing the covenant with salt in a number of different places. One of those would be Numbers chapter 18. Talks about salt being added to the covenant. In some parts of the world, salt was even used as currency. They actually used salt as, as money. And interestingly enough, and I didn't know this till looking at things to prepare this lesson, you ever wonder where the word salary came from when you get paid? It came from salt. Because salt has been used as currency throughout history. So... Salt is one of those things, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing when you really think about it, because salt is something that acts upon whatever it is that it's applied to. You see, if salt is just sitting there, it does nothing. You think about your, your cabinet at home, and you have seasonings and spices in it, and you probably have a salt shaker that's there. If the salt shaker full of salt is sitting there, the salt in and of itself at that point is accomplishing nothing. It is doing nothing. It is something that exists to act upon something else and impact it in vital ways. That's what salt does. And there are several things. We could talk about a number of things that salt does, but I want to look at just a few significant ones that have probably been the most enduring uses of salt over time. And the first thing I want to want to note is that salt seasons or enhances flavor. And salt has always made that which is bland to have flavor. It enhances flavor that's already existent, but it is unnoticed until salt brings it out. See, we might think that when we salt something, we're making it taste like salt. But that's really not true. And this is especially true of things like meat. If you grill a steak or cook, 
any form of meat and put nothing on it, it will be fairly bland at best. But when you put the right amount of salt on there, and if you have a culinary background, I'm, I, I know you understand this, you put the right amount of salt on it, you don't make it taste salty, you make it taste like itself. It serves a purpose to enhance the flavor. Now, if you oversalt a steak, you ruin it, it tastes like a salt block and all of that. But the point is, it exists to enhance flavor. And we know that it's been being used this way all throughout history. If you go back to the book of Job, look at Job chapter 6 and verse 6. And Job asks a rhetorical question, can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? So even back that far, they were enhancing bland food with salt. So salt enhances flavor. But salt also nurtures uh, it is an essential component of nutrition. Now, in our society today, we don't think about this, but bodies need this mineral. We're in a society that has salt in excess, and so rarely do we think about the need of salt or do we need to worry about salt deficiency. But in the past, in some society, and no doubt even in some societies today, it's still a real thing. Now, as far as modern usage, where you see salt being used where it would be deficient, if you've ever been around livestock, you've probably seen a salt block. Every time I see a salt block, I remember when I was a kid, my granddad raised cattle, and, and we as all of the grandkids knew where the salt blocks were stacked. And I remember one time about six of us were all circled around a salt block just licking away on that thing. <laughs> And we got busted, of course, doing that, but we loved it. I mean, we're like, man, this is great. These cattle just get a, lick get a lick salt all day. So we thought that was great, but there was a purpose to that. That salt block is needed to nurture. It's needed for nutrition in that animal. And it's true of us. Once again, we have all that we need. So salt nurtures. It's important that way. But salt also preserves this was probably the most significant use of salt in ancient times, and it still is today with certain food. Because without refrigeration, salt becomes an absolute necessity to prevent decay. Dried meat, when cured properly with salt, perhaps you've heard of things like biltong. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of that or not. But it's a form of cured dried meat with salt. It's different than beef jerky, which is also a similar thing. Jerky has been cured to, to not decay without refrigeration. And so when, when things are cured with salt, they can last almost indefinitely. Some of that stuff can last for years and years and years and never spoil because the salt is acting up on it and preserving it as it needs to. And it's no doubt for reasons like this that the Old Testament in places like Leviticus 2.13, we see that salt was part of covenant ritual. Its addition to the sacrificial offering symbolized the preservation and the longevity of the covenant with God. And it may be for these reasons and or even perhaps others, that Jesus says that his people are the salt of the earth. 
Think about it this way. What hope for seasoning, nurturing, and preservation does the earth have without disciples of Jesus Christ? This becomes a challenge for us because salt that isn't applied to something isn't doing anything. So because we are salt, we must salt things. And we must salt things for all of these reasons and perhaps more. Now let's go back to what we were talking about at the beginning with the modern usage of salt. Since Jesus metaphorically uses salt opposite to the way that it often gets used today, what should our attitude look like? What should our language sound like? And how should we act in order to be pleasing to him and be set apart from the rest of the world? That is what this series will aim to answer over the next few weeks, is things like this. For the remainder of our time together today, we're going to focus on these things as they relate to our love for one another. We're going to look at the idea of a salty love, or the fact that because we are salt, the fact that we are salt as the disciples of Jesus, how should our love be manifested as that. That's what we're trying to find out. Well, there's several things that we see from this, and they all relate right to what we've just looked at. A love as disciples of Jesus enhances flavor. And love that enhances flavor is going to utilize speech that brings about blessing. Go with me, if you will, if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along this morning. We're going to look at just a few verses related to these various things that we're going to look at. But over in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, very practical advice given toward the end of the Colossian letter. And it's obvious that they need advice as to how to get along with each other. There's no question about that. Through some of the things that we see addressed, but it's all very practical in nature. And, and he says, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 4, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. But verse 6 is where I want to focus. Let your speech always be with grace, as though it were seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. So even here, the Colossian letter, Paul ties these two together. The idea is that the love of a disciple should be enhancing the flavor of whoever we're acting upon. And our speech must reflect that. The way we talk should be seasoned with salt. We should be salting others with our love and our speech should reflect that. Go with me also to 1 Corinthians 13. I find it difficult to talk about our love for one another without traveling through 1 Corinthians 13. The Corinthians have got all kinds of struggles. We don't have enough time to talk about all the struggles that they've got. They're fighting over gifts and all kinds of things. And what's Paul telling? He's saying, look, all these gifts y'all got are temporary. 
they're not going to be around a whole lot longer. They're for a special purpose. But there's some things that endure forever. They go on and on and on and on and on forever and are timeless. And the biggie is love, right? That's what he's saying. So we get to 1 Corinthians 13, and we learn what it ought to look like. And beginning in verse 4, he says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. There's a lot of things here that we could talk about with love, but notice a couple that deal specifically with the speech of love. Love is kind. Kindness comes out of us in a lot of ways, but the big one is it comes right out of what we say. When we speak, is it kind? Because it's that kind of speech that enhances flavor. Love does not brag. That's another one that he says. These have to do with our speech. These have to do with the things that we say. Salty speech of the world is impolite, it's hostile, and it's coarse. These are not characteristics of a love for one another. The speech of a salty love of a disciple of Jesus brings about blessings in others and brings about blessing to others. So love enhances flavor. Love also nurtures. Just like salt nurtures, love nurtures. And a love that nurtures will foster relationships that grow. Love is obviously quite relational. And I want to take you for a moment to the book of Philippians. The Philippian letter is also very practical. It's very positive. It's very upbeat. But we can see undertones in that letter of people struggling to get along as well. It's that way with a lot of Paul's letters. There was, under the surface even, in these churches that are doing well, there's still issues with that, which is not a surprise. We're people. We do that, right? We're not immune to it today. They weren't back then. And so as we see in chapter 2, this is one of the reasons we can tell that there's something up. Because if there wasn't, Paul would never reason to say this. And so he says, beginning in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2, he says, make my joy complete. I guess that's beginning in verse 2. That's okay. But he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Why would he say that? We can assume there were some people that are not of the same mind. So he tells them how to fix it. And in doing so, we learn a major characteristic about relational love with one another. Because he goes on, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. A salty love regards others as more important than self. That's not always easy, is it? But that's what a love that nurtures does. That's what a love that will nurture and foster growing relationships does. It doesn't seek its own, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's patient. And here in Philippians, we see that it regards others as more important than self. 
if we want a love that nurtures, that's what it takes. And you see, this, when this works, you can see Christ's design behind it. Because when everyone is looking out for each other, everyone is being taken care of. And that's what a nurturing love will do in a church. Saltiness of the world is characterized by criticism and even hostility toward others. A salty love that looks out for others and nurtures an ever-growing, ever-strengthening relationship is what a counterworldly love looks like. Well, another thing that love does, just like salt does, love preserves. And a love that preserves engages action over feelings. Our love for one another is, is not just an emotion. Matter of fact, I think if we really dig deep, it's not really an emotion at all. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love does not act unbecomingly. So it's pretty easy to see, even from 1 Corinthians 13, that love is very action-oriented. And I want to take you for a moment over to 1 John. Over in 1 John chapter 3, this is probably one of the most explanatory little books of the Bible about what love looks like. And if we want a clear picture of, quote-unquote, agape love, 1 John 3 is one of the best places you can go because it's very, it's very descriptive. Beginning in verse 14 of 1 John 3, he says it this way. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Then down in verse 16, we know love by this. So he's going to tell us what it looks like. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and turns his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So John makes it very clear here, love is acting. It is an action. And that's how our love is demonstrated. It's by serving one another. When we're serving, even in the smallest of ways, the salt that is us is acting upon those we are serving in ways that will make an eternal difference. Just think about things for just a moment. I want to I help open our thoughts up to what this looks like. When you greet someone, when you say hi to someone, you may have no idea what in the world is going on in their life. But you're saying hi to them may give them the preservation they need to continue to make it. Smallest things, things we don't think about even mattering, make a huge difference just by doing that. So it starts and it begins in some of the smallest things that we may totally overlook as being anything at all. Anything that we're a part of around here that involves each other, that's an acting love. Anything you serve in doing around here is an acting love serving one another. 
if you ever help serve food in an event, if you ever pick up a chair, we go on down the list. Anything you do is a serving, acting love. And it's preserving the life of the church. It's preserving the relationship of each other. And we can get bigger than that. Now, Bill mentioned it in the welcome. In two weeks, on August 20th, we have this ministry. What are we calling this? That's terrible that I don't know the name of this. I called it a ministry fair, but I see on the slide it doesn't say that. We have this event to showcase our ministries, and that's what's important. We have, at last count, I forget how many ministries we have here, but anything you do in any of these ministries, no matter how small it is, it is a serving, acting love. So if you want to get involved with something, by all means, make sure you come to this. September 10th, we have our Family and Friends Day coming up, and I am super excited about this this year. Our theme is come and see. That's kind of the theme we're going with as far as our messaging is concerned. And the idea is we want people to come see Jesus. Well, if people are going to see Jesus, that requires every single one of us. Whether or not we have a friend to invite is immaterial at that point. If we want to show Jesus then people have to come see us being Jesus to one another. So everything we do is a serving love at that point. And everything we do shows somebody who Jesus is. And that is the salt being active upon others. Salty behavior or action of the world is simply being upset or annoyed. But salty love is an action. The salty love of a, of a disciple of Jesus is a decision that we make to do and serve in a Christ-like, God-pleasing way. So despite the, the present-day colloquialism of salt, Jesus says, you are salt. He doesn't say you are salty. He says you are salt. And that means that as his disciples, we act upon things and we influence things for the betterment of his kingdom. And like everything else in the kingdom, that's going to look different than the world. So as salt, here's the challenge today. The challenge is to love in ways that will genuinely impact others with a Christ-like influence. Be intentional about what you say to others. Salty love uses speech that demonstrates the love of Christ. It's seasoned. Salty love looks out for the other person first and nurtures stronger relationships. Salty love causes relationships to endure and be preserved by our actions toward others. And sometimes that might even be regardless of our feelings. So this week... Be intentional about your speech. Be intentional about your behavior. Be intentional about your actions. And through these things, demonstrate a salty love for one another. I have a confession to make this morning. I need y'all's prayers. Because as I look at this, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at demonstrating a salty love. And perhaps I'm not the only one that feels that way. Perhaps there are others that feel that way. Well, that's what our time is for. 
When we offer these times that we call the invitation, that's an opportunity if, if you need the prayers of the elders here, if you need our help with a struggle, we want to be able to offer you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you've never begun a relationship with Jesus in the first place. And boy, we don't want anybody to leave here questioning that. You can start a relationship with him this morning by turning your life to him, putting him on the throne of your life, and being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whatever your need may be this morning, we are here to help. So come as we stand and as we sing.